0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station
1: for all things geek.
2: Hello. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, we're back. A predestination story. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin, baby. I am Adam Thomas. And, uh... Where is my co-host? What the hell? Adam, it's me.
0: Thomas Mariani. I'm back from the future. Brave, awful things will happen. More? There's going to be more things? Oh, so much more. But that's not important right now because we're here to do our show. Obviously, that's the main, most important thing. Not telling you anything horrible that will happen. Invest in sunscreen. But I brought along somebody with me, Adam. A guest. That would be uh, a, a friend of ours who is going to be doing our great little episode here about time travel movies. He's a writer, and he loves movies just as much as we do. It's Mr. Marcus Will Turner. Marcus, how's it going? I'm good. How are you guys doing? I mean, doing okay. Time displacement, everything. It's its working out for me pretty well, and Adam is clearly
2: just uh, stoked about the future. I just figured out <laughs> I'm my own father and mother. I'm, I'm kind of messed up in the head right now about <laughs>
0: Well, supposed suppose for pre adonation
2: <laughs>
0: But uh, Marcus, you know, we invited you on because uh, you have an interest in podcasting and film. And uh, we gave you a list of topics like we do our usual guests. And you decided to pick out doing time travel films, which we're doing this week. Why
1: time travel films in particular? Uh, honestly, because it's most likely one of my favorite uh, subgenres. I am certainly, you know... Ready to dive into this with you, fine, fine gentlemen. Yeah, I mean, um, we decided to do
0: this obviously in honor of Bill and Ted Face the Music is uh, currently out um, in some theaters and also VOD platforms. Uh, And, you know, what I like about time travel in general, I, I guess, is something more in the vein of like a Bill and Ted, where the logic isn't necessarily the most concrete, per se, Um, And it's just more about kind of time travel as a way of having these characters do very interesting weird things with time and space and paradoxes and all that stuff. Like, even, like, something as much as Back to the Future kind of tries to stay, like, logical with the flow of things. Um, They Hmm. also know, like, we don't need to spend that much time on it. And I think most movies that spend too much time on, like, the time travel mechanics suffer for it, to me. I don't know, is is that your assessment, Adam, or...?
2: I I like a healthy medium. I like some sort of uh, explanation to the science of it, but I don't need it to go too heady. But I also don't like it when you just like, ah, just accept it. It is what it is. Like, ah, well, I need a little bit more plot development than that. Uh, Although, you know, how much original shit can you potentially do with the idea of a time machine? But uh, I like a, a healthy balance between the two.
0: Well, I don't know if the logic of time travel is quite the same as, like, a plot. I think it's more a factor of, like, if you have interesting characters and an interesting story, then, like, the mechanics don't matter as much
2: to me. Listen to me, but biscuit. Yeah, that's a good one. Listen to me. You want time travel and do that take again? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, leave it in. That's what I'm talking about, man. Time's relative. No, it's, uh, you know what the hell I mean. Of course, it's not logical that it's going to be a
1: real thing, but I, I I like some explanation honestly, it depends on the movie because you know there's been a lot of films who that really dive into the mechanics of it, you know as you stated, and you know they can be very informative and very you know interesting and really kind of draw you into you know that particular you know story. but you know I've also found that the more like grounded, you know, humanistic stories, uh, like have a lot to offer when it comes to these kind of films.
0: Well, I mean, we're definitely covering two movies that go very different ways in terms of the time travel logistics of it. One that definitely has like a lot of its thought in how like the weird sort of paradoxes flow and all that. And one that really just says, fuck it like, completely fuck it on every conceivable level, (laughs) uh, which we should introduce. Um, At the end of our last episode, we picked two movies that we would be covering for this particular episode, Uh, though then again, um, for one of our picks, they were picked by our lovely patrons over at patreon.com slash gedbpod, uh, based on Adam's two good choices, Uh, and we ended up with Predestination for the good Mm. pick. And then our bad pick, which we did do our random picking at the end of the last episode, was uh, We're Back, A
2: Dinosaur Story. Don't touch, lords. Hey, Let us down, I guess. Stay <laughs> <laughs> so tuned to find out. <laughs> yes. Let's, let's go
0: ahead and uh, dive into that then with our first film, Predestination.
1: What if I could put him in front of you? The man that ruined your life. Would you kill him? Here we go. <sighs> Deep breath.
0: I always knew something was different about me.
1: You're a gift, given to the world through a predestination paradox. Time catches up with us all. The path you're on will take you to your destination.
0: So, uh, Predestination was released in 2014 and comes from the Spearig brothers. Uh, Michael and Peter Spearig, who are a couple of um, Australian directors. Um, who before this had done stuff like Undead was their initial sort of movie, and then they did uh, Daybreakers, which is a fun little vampire movie. And uh, then after this, they would do stuff like Jigsaw and Winchester. So um, mixed bag is probably the best way to describe it.
2: (laughs) Uh, It might be being really friendly. I'd say you got uh, two okay ones and then just a bucket of shit.
1: I, I disagree.
2: I feel like they have a lot of uh,
0: strong
1: entries. But, you know, like I said, that's just me. Nice.
0: Well, I think they're definitely very slick filmmakers. That's the most consistent thing about yeah. it. even Undead, which I hadn't seen until actually this weekend, was like it's very much a slow budget, like early film, but it feels much sleeker than it has any right to be. And I think all of their other movies subsequently definitely do have a sleek sheen to them that, especially for their lower budgets, really shows mm-hmm. off. Like even, um, you know, Predestination was only about a five million dollar movie. And you can tell because it's very limited cast and all this other stuff, but it does feel at least like they put as much of their budget as they can on the screen, especially in a case like this, or Daybreakers. Like Daybreakers basically builds an entire society and stuff out of so little. Like you wouldn't be able to tell yeah. that movie was like about $20 million as opposed to like 50, something bigger than that. They, they, they use uh, every single dollar.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely, they have an eye for aesthetics for sure. All their stuff does absolutely look really sleek and polished. I, I definitely agree. Even on dead for as low budget as it is, they still try to put a lot of tricks into there
1: and a lot of it works. You know, it really, really works. You can tell that they, like, really know exactly what they're doing when it comes to filming these types of films. Like, you know, as uh, Thomas said, like, you, like, can't really tell that they're, uh, you know, on a lower budget of things, you know, because they really do make the most of it. And it's very, very exceptional.
0: Well, um, why don't we talk a bit more about Predestination, especially Adam? This was your choice. Um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, I'm very curious to hear uh, your thoughts as to like why you would think it's necessarily a good movie on here, as well as um, why don't you give a bit of a plot synopsis? Though we should probably emphasize to people this is a super twisty movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a smaller, like obscure movie. So uh, be forewarned that we'll go into a bit more depth a bit later.
2: Okay the 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 basic plot synopsis I can give is our main hero Ethan Hawke works for like a a time bureau to where they go back in time to stop crimes before they happen and he's obsessed with stopping this person called the Fizzle Bomber who has bombed and killed tons of civilians and things like that so he keeps trying to stop him and he's working at a bar in the 70s and somebody comes in and bets him for a bottle of liquor that he, they can tell them the most exciting story he's ever heard and then etc. etc. And it gets wild and fucking like, what? Quite a few times. I picked this because I, I don't think it's one of the greatest uh, time travel movies ever, but I think it's incredibly original as far as where it goes with the story and the characters. There's nothing else like it. I will say that.
0: It is based on previous source material, the Robert A. Heinlein story, All You Zombies, which gets a name check during the big final monologue that Ethan Hawke gives. Um, and I think that's the thing, is I hadn't seen this before, though I'd heard a lot about it. This was uh, one of the spirit ones I hadn't seen. And upon watching it, I will definitely say it's a very ambitious in terms of what it's kind of covering. But I also do definitely feel like this was a short story stretched out to 100 minutes. Because you can kind of get a sense of some of the things, like even as much as like there are these various twists, there was a certain point where I kind of figured like, hmm, okay, so we're not seeing certain people and certain flashbacks and all this other stuff. I and there's only two characters in this movie. Hmm, <laughs> I wonder where this might go.
2: I've read the novella. Uh, in fact, I I have it in the uh, in collection of short stories. And it the- oh
0: how fancy.
2: <laughs> yes, I got it when I subscribe to the Criterion Collection, right, Thomas? <laughs> they give it to you for free if you subscribe. Well, it comes inside of a swordfish. It, it's pretty close to the novella, man. The, the thing that's added is the Fizzle Bomber stuff. Like, that's not in the novella at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, it's pretty damn close, even as far as dialogue. Like, it's pretty spot on. But, yeah, they definitely added the Fizzle Bomber sort of extra twist to give it a little bit more meat, or to stretch it a little bit more, for sure. Or to,
0: gi- or to give it some kind of conflict, honestly, because the the stories didn't really have that much conflict inherent to it in terms of, like, these two characters,
2: until we sort of get to, like, the visible Bomber stuff. Not movie form, but on page. You're like, what the fuck? Because it is a short <laughs> so it's a breeze through. Given it's a
0: novella, it's like, what, how long?
2: Oh, man, maybe 112 pages.
0: But I'm curious, Marcus, had you seen this before? And uh, what are your thoughts on it? This is actually
1: my first time watching it. Let me say, it definitely deserves to be in the conversation as one of the best time travel films that I've ever seen. Like, you know, you can go into, uh, as you said earlier, you know, the mechanics of of everything. But it's it's such a, like, a, a serious, deeply personal story. And it's a nifty little, like, time bender, you know, of a film that, like, seems to take a lot of pre-existing tropes and elements from, like, past, present, and future, you know, like, uh, films, and pushes those kind of beyond you know, their subsequent uh, limits, and it's just very, very intelligent, and asks, like, so many different questions, you know, about, you know, how how time is, like, an arrow, you know, causality, you know, a fixed uh, destiny that cannot be uh, turned or changed, you know, one's own destiny, uh, the progression through life, and someone can literally and figuratively, you know, change, you know, between, like, different eras. You know, there's just, there's so much in this film that it's just done remarkably well. You know, it it completely took me off guard and by surprise. Well,
0: I'll I'll definitely give you that it does at least aim for that, and I think a lot of it has to do with, we haven't mentioned, uh, Ethan Hawke is sort of our, our main character, as it were, who we spend at least a lot of time with, but his sort of uh, two-handed partner in this is Sarah Snook, who uh, initially appears to us as John, and as we find out, um, John was initially Jane, and then sort of had this transition, as it were, uh, to mm-hmm. the, the Jane character, and I think that's where I have a lot of um, mixed feelings about the movie for me, uh, because right. uh, with the, Sarah Snook I think does a phenomenal job in that part. Because the no, whole sort of, um, I think the best part of the movie is pretty much her explaining this backstory as John and then revealing like how, it, this reveal that basically uh, they were intersex, uh, where if you don't know, that's basically the idea that someone is born with a non-traditional quote-unquote genitalia, um, mm-hmm. and, and especially like organs and stuff that would force them at some point um, after Jane becomes pregnant to, uh, is basically put into a surgical position where she needs to become a man which i think part of that is obviously just based on this being an older story like what the the story all you zombies is from like the the 40s 50s or something like that right yeah 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 it's an older mm-hmm. story I, the biggest missed opportunity to me is i think sarah snook does a pretty great job of making that character very sympathetic and the movie is very sympathetic to her on a very basic level But at the same time, I kind of wish they spent less of that time developing something like the Fizzle Bomber and all this stuff with like Noah Taylor also pops up as this guy who like runs the bureau, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. Um, and spent a lot more time at least kind of focusing on that sort of inner turmoil. Because as it stands, I think that's just sort of there in terms of the context of the actual story as like a plot mechanic rather than really investing and going a bit deeper into her story as much as it can. I, I just mm-hmm. think, ultimately, it, it ends up being like more of like a nifty time travel trinket rather than as personal or enveloping a story, as I think you intimated, Marcus, to me. How do you, where do you stand on that, Adam, and that
2: character? Well, right off the bat, I agree Sarah Snook has really, really given up performance in this. I mean, she's phenomenal. Now, my thing is, I, I, I agree with you in a way, Thomas, uh, but at the same time, I think we see the inner tor- turmoil uh, on the character's face, the way they're talking, the way he's talking, the way he's drinking, he's writing these stories, he's become something he didn't want to necessarily be or didn't know that was he, he was even going to become. I think we see it without it being uh, sort of spelled out for us. Now, could I have used a little bit more of the inner conflict or the inner turmoil or the... I don't really want to call it – well, I guess it is consequences because of what happened uh, after the pregnancy sort of spell out on screen. Sure, I could. But I also don't know that this movie needed more padding. I'm sort of conflicted there. Like I I think it's – enough of it's there, but I do think there maybe could have been a little bit more finesse with it.
1: For me, I would have to agree with uh, Adam on that. In a way, I think that's what makes both of these performances uh, so incredible. When it comes to uh, Sarah Snook and, of course, you know Ethan Hawk. every single time any of them like have any kind of look or, or 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 line that has any kind of resonance or any kind of impact, you can see it like all over them. Like it kind of just radiates off of them, you know. And I think that's like a testament to how good you know, uh, uh, Snook is in her performances, whereas uh, Hawk is in his. I agree that, yeah, maybe there could have been a little bit more, but at the same time, I don't think this is really the type of story that needed that. I, I think it's more about reading uh, between the lines, you know, the nuances and everything like that. Uh, and it, for me, it, like, it, it still, like, works. It, it really, really, really works.
0: I think I'd be more inclined to agree with that if it wasn't for the Fizzle Bomber stuff, which I didn't know that was something that wasn't in the original story until kind of after I watched it. And I think the Fizzle Bomber stuff, like, is so perfunctory. It's so just like, oh, it's just like particular means to get to the specific point where he has that interaction, where even Hawk acts off of himself at a certain point during like one of the final scenes. And I think that scene kind of like really collapses a lot of the goodwill the movie kind of had before with sort of, like, building up a lot of this stuff, because I think when Ethan Hawk ends up, like, finding himself, is just like, oh, oh, I get it, because he had, like, he kept traveling in time, all this stuff about, like, dimension, the holes that, like, pop up when you've traveled through time so much. I get that that's, like, sort of the ultimate thing we come to, but at that point, I think we just sort of turn this story of weird self-discovery into more of just like a once again it's a time travel worldly do it kind of reminds me in a certain way of a movie that we'll talk a bit more in the feedback on um that i have a lot more issue with than this one necessarily because i think the performers are pretty good and it looks a lot sleeker but reminds me a lot of like a primer where the main Uh, focus is far more on the sort of mechanics of the time travel and the character stuff is not necessarily forgotten but is secondary and I find mm. that to be just not as interesting, especially with the time travel mechanics stuff that I kind of figured after a certain point, I think it's particularly like the moment that they're like, oh, hey, I'm going to make you a time travel agent. When Ethan Hawk yeah. says that to to uh, John, it's like, oh, okay, I think this is probably where it's going to go. At least that they're going to get together and then that Ethan Hawk's going to end up being the other version because like, why would he have this interest in doing this particular thing for John? What's the? It, it all feels very much like putting a puzzle together but I don't really
2: care about the people putting that puzzle together nearly as much as I think the movie wants me to. I don't disagree with you. I think, don't get me wrong, I did enjoy the scene when Ethan Hawk comes across the older version of himself and he's being real ticky and he's real weird stuff. I thought Ethan Hawk did a very good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it would have been just enough for something cool like Ethan Hawk sitting at the typewriter writing out the, the story and then he gets flashes of when he fought him and he sees his own face and realizes what's going on. You didn't need the confrontation scene. You didn't need the the pure sort of time copish gotcha moment, like where I got, I got the bad guy. I, di- I didn't need that. I, I do agree.
0: Plus, it also sort of weirdly turns this person who, like the whole point of their discovery was like, oh, I'm not a weird person, not a monster, I can be myself, and then turns it into like, oh, you end up becoming like a serial killer, bomber terrorist, and you have to die.
2: I, I, I do agree with that. And that's one of the reasons why... It's not in my like top time travel movies. That the, mainly that reason alone. I, I didn't need any more of that. Uh, even to the point where you know I thought it was really cool. Like because when I first saw this and he's retiring so close to where the bomb happened and stuff, I thought he was going there to kill himself. So he was going to be in the bomb blast and stuff like that. Like that's what I thought was happening. Uh, and then when they turn it into sort of what they did, this like sort of quasi revenge, got to finish the mission moment. I just, it, it felt a little tacked on to me personally. Uh, but, you know, fuck it. Well, I don't, I didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: a conclusion you could come to with any of our episodes covering any of our films. No, I didn't write it. I
2: wrote a legend Uh,
0: but where do you stand on that marcus where what's your rebuttal to that
1: uh i disagree with both of you i understand why both of you would feel like that scene is very tacked on and why it was very unnecessary for me i kind of feel like it was like another added emphasis on everything that we were experiencing in this film to begin with like we see you know uh uh, Sarah Snook and you know Ethan Haw go through all these different progressions, all these different time periods, all these different um, moments and eras, you know, uh, from the from the beginning to the end to backwards, frontwards, you know, every every part. When we get to you know the Fizzle Bomber scene, it, it felt like it was a a very good closing of like said loop, you know. Because it added that extra question of okay that you know you know he he shoots himself he shoots you know the fizzle bomb and everything like that but like did that actually change things did that close the loop did that you know keep this from happening and in a way that kind of add added to all the mystery that had kind of built up uh, throughout the entire film from it because it leaves us, you know, the viewer with, you know, that very uh, powerful question, you know, did, you know, did he close the loop? Did uh, this actually finish it? Is, you know, this whole cycle pretty much ended or is it, you know, like the line, you know, in the, in the middle of the film, you know, uh, you know, are some things, you know, just inevitable, you know, is, is, is this whole thing just inevitable? And I loved that. You know, I really did. Because, you know, I would have been fine with, you know, as you guys stated, you know, if it was just a, like a more, uh, like, quieter, you know, moment when he comes to realize he's a little bomber. That would have been fine, too. But I I liked this one because it, it felt more of like, a, I know it probably seems like I'm being a little uh, superficial, but I liked the bang pal of the moment. Because everything throughout the entire film is 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 very... Very quiet, very very subtle. It it goes through like each part, very very calmly. Even with the revelations, even with the twists and the turns, like uh, this this you know kind of bookending that, you know really kind of gave it that last like little like mm, to like to the story. I would agree with you, because uh, I don't necessarily mind
2: when movies do that with the you know the sort of out of nowhere like boom moment especially when it's been sort of a character piece or quiet slow burn movie and all of a sudden it's like fuck you know Mm -hmm. like slow burn horror does it all the time and it it really does work yeah so with this though it it was so obviously telegraphed the entire time what it's going to be that the boom pow didn't really work for me because i knew it 45 minutes into the movie like you know it's Going on, I mean, it's obvious. Like Thomas said, there's two characters, and one of was constantly cascaded in shadow when they see each other. You know what's going on.
0: Well, and plus, um, also, also, I think the the bigger thing is, I don't think it has any ambiguity at all. That ending, like there's no. No, there's no ambiguity whatsoever. The whole thing is that it's like, oh, the the it, loop just keeps happening. Like that, yeah, I, like killing the last horrible. version, like the dementia like endpoint of himself, is what like makes the loop go on forever. Yeah, that's it's what the
2: movies. Yeah. Terrible even says in the movie it's the snake eating itself for eternity it's yeah. an eternity it will never stop the thing is like I said if it wasn't so in my opinion obviously telegraphed from you know 45 minutes into the movie then maybe it'd have a little bit more of an umph to it but it, it, to me it just it, it fell flat
1: and don't get me wrong I, I I felt the same way you know of course there's that part in the film where you know John and Jane are basically saying like hey you know what do you think on the Fizzle Bomber? You're like, oh, maybe I'm the Fizzle Bomber. Oh, well, maybe you are. You know, and you know, of course, that it telegraphs the whole entire thing. But I, I guess for me, I just enjoyed like, everything leading to that part. And I don't know. I don't know. I, it just it it worked for me. It worked. Well,
0: me. yeah. I mean, I also say like scenes like that. Um, I, well, it just kind of telegraph what kind of becomes of the ending at a certain point i do love how the spirit brothers stage it like that scene you're talking about where they're like i like how they keep staging where ethan hawk and sarah snook are at the bar and how they keep moving around even though very clearly ethan hawk is a terrible bartender and by the way just the one thing this movie doesn't resolve how do you have time to become a fucking bartender and
2: get that job (laughs) for weeks in the 70s Come on, man. I could go be a bartender right now, and I don't know fucking dick about running a bar. I would go do it at the local dive bar. Anybody could. All you're doing is serving beers and shots. Nobody's going in there ordering a fucking Tom Collins. But he had he is... to
0: be there for weeks and be hired by that bar and bartender He's... for a
2: while. He said you would only been there two weeks. That's weeks. That's multiple weeks. <laughs> Plural. Oh, yeah, I guess. But he still had to get the job so he could be there. <laughs> I mean, eh, yeah, you know. Well, I mean, but anyway, worry. anyway,
0: still regardless, I like how they move around the bar and how they sort of, like, make this sort of stagey setup a bit more cinematic. And also the scene where they're at the booth talking to each other and, like, the smoke's cascading between the two of them. Felt very noir in a way I really appreciated. There's a lot of great stuff. Like, even when we do the flashbacks and show how Jane sort of got her start... Um, it looks very period authentic, despite, like we said, being such a small budget. Um, and the way that it's all shot also has this, like we mentioned, like sort of sleekness that's contrasting with how shitty this dive bar looks. And the the makeup job on Sarah Snook to be John is phenomenal. She looks almost like a midpoint version of Leonardo DiCaprio from where he is right now, like not quite a kid, but past Titanic and not quite at
1: Revenant era. <laughs> yeah, she looks like Ron Weasley. <laughs>
2: like, like Ron and and Leonardo DiCaprio mixed.
1: I was, I was thinking, like, a mix between Leo and... I, I can't I always get his name wrong, but Dane DeHaan, I think? Uh, right,
0: she's, she's like, the mid-evolution between those two.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like, in Pokemon, how there's, like, three evolutions, there's one in the middle, that's Sarah Snow here. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, Dane Sheeran. But at the same time, I also, I
0: really do like there's the sequence where John and Jane specifically talk to each other um, yeah. at the at the coffee shop, I think is tremendous. I think that does a lot. That's the thing the most the movie really gets to, like having a bit more of like what you guys were talking about to me in terms of like saying everything without quite saying everything. Um, mm-hmm. Even though like the dialogue is very much about like, Oh, I can read minds. I can tell you what you're thinking, all this other stuff. It at least like convinces me enough. It's like, Oh, okay. I can see why the, she would be attracted to him. In this
2: particular case, and cause all this to, you know, go the way that it goes. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that's a really sort of powerful scene because, uh, on the on the surface level, you're like, what is going on? Like he goes in the pa- back in the past, and has sex with himself to produce a child. Like it's it's kind of crazy, but you get the whole idea, the subtext of it, or whatever that neither of them have ever felt love or someone that cares for them other than themselves. So it's it's mm-hmm. literally it's a literal way to give love to themselves. It's really sort of
1: like in a really bizarre way. It's it's sort of sweet, right? Yeah, that kind of is a testament to how good uh, Sarah Snook is. Because I, I feel like any other like actress or or really anybody really uh, doing a doing a scene like that. Would, it definitely brings it into, I guess, uh, Freudian territory, I guess, you know, semi-Freudian territory. And, and and it can be very, very creepy and very narcissistic, but it just works because she's so good and it, it, it ends up being, you know, as you said, you know, pretty heartwarming. In a way, it's somewhat weird because I'm sitting there watching this and I'm like, you know, he's having sex with himself. And I'm fine with that. (laughs) It's
0: It's a tender go fuck yourself, basically, is what you're saying. Yes, Yes. Yes. it's very tender.
1: We've all kind of told somebody, you know, to go fuck themselves at one point or another. She she actually did. You know, so it's like, you know, (laughs) that in of itself is mind boggling. You know, you know, very much so.
0: And now I also want to talk about, before we like head off into another feature, um, that the Spirit Brothers, I don't think have made another good film since this one. I really dig Daybreakers, honestly. I, I'm revisiting it especially. I think it's a silly movie, but I think that one is more comfortable with like, yeah, here are like the basic of rules, but also we're going to do fun shit, like uh, have Willem Dafoe. <laughs> like, eject himself out of a car and be on fucking fire, and that's how he cures vampirism. Sure. It's fun. I love that movie. That's my favorite of their, their movies, for sure. I think this one's the last sort of good movie that they've made as of yet, because Jigsaw, I thought, was, like, sleek in the same way, but also overly convoluted in a way that, to be fair, isn't their fault because they didn't write it, but also is, um still just like a, a weird like why do we even need this entry in the saw franchise and then winchester is one of the most boring movies i've ever fucking seen honestly it's so endlessly <laughs> like, dull um what do you think is uh, say in this movie or a daybreakers marcus that uh, you feel might be missing in the other movies or what
1: do you feel like they should do next at this point kind of want them to do another daybreakers movie that was such a strong vision you know, as far as like, you know, uh, vampires and everything go. Uh, I, I can't really recall any other like vampire films that have ever really done anything like that besides that film, maybe Blade. But that was more of like, you know, the vampires being around more, but, you know, being hidden. You know, that one was, you know, them being a complete like society and just kind of taking over. Like, I, I, I loved that whole aspect of that film. And, you know, even though it pretty much ended with it being very hopeful and, hey, you know, maybe we can save humanity and everything like that. I kind of wanted to see another uh, another film of that. I really did. You know, but, you know, they moved on to other things or another film like this one, because this was definitely another strong point, you know, in in their filmography. Like, seriously. (laughs) What about you, Adam?
2: Give them Resident Evil on Netflix. Uh, I think the idea of them doing something like the Resident Evil with the polish or the Umbrella Corporation and everything else, and they've already done the zombie genre and made it sort of fun and exciting. Give them something like that. I'd like to see them showrun, maybe for a little bit. I, I think their stuff would work better in sort of episodic uh, means th- in long form than it does in hour-and-a-half, two-hour movies. Uh, I'm a big Daybreakers fan, too. Uh, I think it's fun. It, it's not like a great movie. I would never say Daybreakers is a great movie, but I think it's super fun. I think aesthetically it's amazing, and Sam Neill is just hamming it up to 100 in it, and he's awesome. Willem Dafoe, of course, is Elvis great. His name is Elvis, for fuck's sake. But he loves burning Love, it's great. Maybe stay away from feature films for a little while until they find something else they can really sort of put their all into. Now I understand they're independent filmmakers, so they get this chance to make a big franchise movie and everything, like with Jigsaw and whatnot or even Winchester was like a, a wide release horror film and it both kind of just fell flat. So I would like to see the, maybe given the chance to take a reins on something a little bit more episodic or mini-series type.
0: I would definitely agree. with the, What they show with Daybreakers and even this movie to a certain extent is like a really wide vision and at least a capable hand to make their, the smaller version of it like fun and sleek. But I would definitely agree. I think they would need a bit more room to grow with their stories in that kind of way. But Resident Evil's not a bad choice um, or just something else sort of like genre film related. But we're going to get into our next feature in a bit. So let's do quick final thoughts here on Predestination. Marcus, our guest... Go ahead. Your final thoughts on predestination?
1: I love this movie. The brothers put uh, together that uh, something that not only works within the you know the confines of time traveling and you know that entire subgenre, but definitely works outside the box as well. You know, it takes so many distinctive ideas, loops, and paradoxes and causality. You know, the chicken and the egg. You know, the rooster. You know, the snake eating itself. You know, and uses them all very exceptionally. You know, like don't get me wrong. You know, a lot some of these ideas have been you know used before, but you know this film presents those ideas as well as a few others in such a I believe I said this before I like a humanistic manner that you can't help but take pause at what you're witnessing. You know, from start to finish, it's 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 just great. You can't take your eyes off the screen. The script works. The performances are fantastic. Sarah Snook, Ethan Hawke, you know, even you know Noah Taylor. You know, all fantastic. Wow. Everything is in place, out of place, <laughs> in place again. And it's just like a story that works so well. Like, it's like the, one of the best examples of a very strong piece of multifaceted filmmaking. And I would definitely put this in like the top tier of like time travel films, you know, right along with, now you're back to the future your looper your you know your primer you know uh, just all of those you know i i i can't love this movie enough i really can Adam your final
0: thoughts on predestination
2: I don't think there's another movie like it uh, i think for just sort of curiosity factor or want to see something completely different told through a subgenre of time travel then i think it's definitely to to watch uh, i think Ethan Hawke's really good in this and i'm really not a fan of his but i think he's really good in this even though can i ask a question why does he have a dilated eye throughout this whole movie is that because like the surgery or something maybe uh i think that's kind of yeah the
0: the point i think it's also just to kind of throw you off a bit of like oh they're the same person it's like well Um, (laughs) he has a dilated eye that's 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 totally different they're totally different guys
2: that's kind of what i figured too uh but anyways I, i think it's a it's a perfectly fine movie I think it's a little bit above average. Uh, I I wouldn't put it in the top tier. I'd put it right in the second tier, the B tier of time travel movies. I think it's really good. Uh, It's just, you know, it's worth a watch. I I think it kind of, you know, unfortunately I watched it on a a service that has ungodly amounts of commercials, so it made the movie way too long. But the first time I saw it, I, I watched it just straight through, and it was pretty much a breeze. So, I mean... Yeah, you. Can. It's an easy way to blow an afternoon.
0: Um. Yeah. I mean, it might sound like I was a bit down on the movie, but I still did overall like it. I, I would agree. I think it's an it's an interesting little puzzle movie, as it were, of uh, putting all the pieces together. Uh, I did just feel like you kind of said Adam, that, it does kind of call attention to itself in a way that feels like it. It's a movie that really wants to show you how clever it is, and it's like I kind of got the cleverness after a certain point. Why don't you breathe out a bit more of the details? I think the movie's far more focused on sort of being this year's A to B to C to D, in terms of, like, how the structure of the time loop thing works, which I think is, like, it's commendable. I think it's it's still at least very sleek, and I think both the performances are at least good. I would definitely say Sarah Snook is the better. I like Ethan Hawke, usually, and I did think his role kind of definitely much more of, like, the the person just to explain a lot of this stuff, but no, I don't think have as much of the interesting emotionality that I think he's displayed in other performances that I prefer him in. I don't think it's really offensive from my, to be fair, cisgender perspective, necessarily, the whole thing about John to Jane, that character. I just think the bigger sin of it is that we sacrifice having more development with that character for the fizzle bomber thing, and we could have used less of stuff like, oh, um, when she was a little girl, Jane figured she was different because she had slightly more masculine traits, like she could fight. It's like that's the best you could do to really define that she was like, felt a bit different or whatever. I just felt like it was kind of like it was... Not nearly as sort of interesting and nuanced as I think the movie thinks it is in that regard. But regardless, I still think it's fun. I think it's interesting. I think of nothing else. It's, I agree with that. It's, there's not too many other time travel movies quite like it. So I do respect that it's very unique at the very least. But I've got a whole other film to discuss, which we'll do right after this ad for an ESO. So you can queue up right after ours. The Hitchhiker's Guide to Podcasting has this to say about the weekly Earth Station One podcast. Mildly entertaining, not nearly as exciting as the popping of bubble wrap, but slightly better than listening to Vogon poetry. Be mildly entertained by Mike and Mike as they tackle an assortment of geeky topics each week. Check out the Earth Station 1 podcast and let your inner geek out to play. All right, and let's get into We're Back, a dinosaur story. Ah! Out of the prehistoric past. Into the streets of New York.
2: Crazers, quick! <laughs> They've come to see the sights, <laughs> shake things up, and save the city. I am the master
1: of fear. They're in danger. We've got
2: to save them. Steven Spielberg presents We're Back, a dinosaur story. That's us. Rated G starts Wednesday at Theaters Everywhere.
0: Mm. <laughs> So, we're back. A Dinosaur Story uh, came out uh, Thanksgiving weekend of uh, 1993. Um, it's an animated film uh, produced by Steven Spielberg and Amblin. Um, and in case you couldn't tell, it's a story about dinosaurs. Uh, written by John Patrick Shamley, uh, based on a, a kid's book by Hudson Talbot. Which I just love the fact that John Patrick Shanley. if you don't know, we've covered him previously with uh, Joe vs. the Volcano. But he also had won the Oscar before that for Moonstruck would later be nominated for Doubt, amongst other things. And uh, this movie sticks out like a weird sore thumb. (laughs) a movie that he's fucking done. Um, And uh, I remember I watched this a lot as a kid, uh, which was sort of why I put it here as a bad pick, necessarily, because it definitely feels like a movie designed to distract children in terms of how over-elaborated elaborate is. But I will give the movie this. um, It is never boring at its very short length of about 71 minutes. And it's just uh, crazy that this movie fucking exists because of how incomprehensible it is and how much it shifts tones and how much it's just like, this is another example, to be fair, like Predestination. There's not a lot of other movies quite like Rebecca Dinosaur's story, probably for good
2: reason. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, uh, all right, I'm just going to go right off the bat and say I have seen way, way worse. Animated films, especially, like, non-Disney or non-whatever. I've even seen worse dinosaur animated films. And my kid really did enjoy this movie. However, it's, like, (laughs) it really is just an unintelligible mess. The voices are are, are so, so bad, some of the voice work in this. The kids especially, the two kids, especially the little girl. Like, it's it's ear-gratingly bad. It's a it's a crazy fucking movie like dinosaur <laughs> magic series. like what the fuck is going on here? It's okay, man. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, just, oh. <laughs> That's, like, what? That's the most you're gonna get out of it. Just like weird fucking like grunts and what? Uh, 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 right. If if
0: you don't know, literally, like, a brief what? synopsis, quote unquote, of the, at least the start of this <laughs> plot. Walter Cronkite voices uh, this time-traveling genius of sorts who um, travels back in time to capture a bunch of dinosaurs and feed them this brain-serial drug that can turn them into intelligent-speaking beings. Brain-grain. brain (laughs) Yes, brain-gain, yes. Um, uh, Assisted by his alien pal, voiced by Jay Leno, which this... Uh, this... (laughs) Oh! Just Vorb. Vorb. Vorb, yes, the (laughs) alien. (laughs) Which is never explained else just like he has an alien friend. Of course he does.
2: Yeah, go am, ahead. Am I? Oh, God. It, like, oh, fucking Jesus Christ, please, someone blow.
1: Oh, fucking. Am, am I the only one who thought Vorb was like a space Jiminy Cricket? I, I hey, think
0: that's, that's what they're kind of aiming for in design, but not necessarily in terms of he's not conscious, really. He's just Jay Leno. He's <laughs> like,
1: have you seen this? Have you
2: heard about this? Is the brain oh. Green? <laughs> you don't give a shit about him. Like, Jiminy Cricket, you're like, oh, he's an icon. Vorb would be like, kill it! Kill it with fire! <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's quite a fair bit of that in this movie but you know i'm curious marcus um <laughs> what'd you think of
1: it? <laughs> i'm of two minds on this like, like you could say like my my past you know child you know self is battling with my adult self over this film on one hand it, it brings me back to a very simple time When I could just sit down and pretty much enjoy all films because I was young and, you know, very much, you know, not in tune with my own tastes. And, you know, this was 100% just, this is great, you know, but I'm older now and I'm watching this film and I have no idea what the hell is going on. I don't remember this. This was not the movie that I saw when I was younger. Like, it's not. I don't know, I did kind of feel like, because I also saw this as a kid, and
0: I just felt like, oh, I remember so much of this, but I just remember, like, that kind of thing you are talking about. When I, when you're a kid, you just don't question any of, like, the logical flow of what's going on. Like, of course, yeah, they would, you know, go to New York, and they're trying to get to the Museum of Natural History, um, and they get caught up in a circus uh, that's run by a guy who apparently actually does magic and has demons. Of course,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as you do, as it's the Joseph Campbell classic hero's journey. That's what it is.
2: Absolutely. Breathtaking. Breathtaking story.
0: (laughs) I mean, honestly, it just feels more like this is a weird experiment because... We should mention Spielberg did this for Amblin Animation, and it was kind of in this area where he was starting to, like, really sort of bring back, especially, like, 2D animation. Because Amblin had done, like, an American tale, and uh, he'd worked with Don Bluth, like, Land Before Time, even, a better movie about dinosaurs. This was also around the time he was doing, like, Animaniacs and Tiny Toons on TV, so Spielberg clearly had an interest in doing animation, and all those movies, at least, though, had some kind of specific vision to it, like, oh, you know, immigration with American Tale, or even with the Animaniacs and Tiny Toons about, like, reviving that kind of Warner Brothers sensibility of silliness. Uh, this one feels much more like a fuck it project, not in terms of, like, he didn't care, but more in terms of, like, yeah, let's do whatever we want. This is, like, Spielberg yeah. on such a huge hubris. This is the same year as both Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. So he's on a full swing of just like fuck, we're gonna do whatever we want. I read an oral history of this movie that apparently explained why, why Walter.
2: What? <laughs> why? Why would you? Do that? Well, because
0: I do research for the goddamn show, so we can have trivia <laughs> bits to you talk an
1: about. Oral history of uh, we're back. Oh, you deserve a raise. He's very meticulous, man. Very meticulous. I mean, but it's it's
0: very interesting because they talk about the directors. Who so we should mention them? It's uh, Phil Niblek and Simon Wells who, as I mentioned at the end of the last episode, is the great-grandson of H.G. Wells. True fact. Um, he, uh, they basically said, like, yeah, you know, we would just do scratch track stuff for the animation, like, voices. Like, oh, I'll do a Julia Child impression or a Walter Cronkite impression for these two characters. And Steven was just like, oh, that's great. Let me get Walter and Julia on the phone and have them do these voices just because you
1: did
2: shitty impressions. <laughs> and they're in the fucking movie. <laughs> it's so weird. This cast is insane. Yeah, this is a rock level of fuck it.
0: <laughs> I would say to a certain degree it's similar but also it's a weird thing where like um those two directors actually like left the project because this is a weird thing where like Amblin Animation was doing so much stuff like they came off Bible Goes West the American Tales sequel right afterwards started doing this and then Wells left to do Balto so like they're just cranking out these fucking movies at this point so then a couple other directors Dick Zondig and Ralph Zondig came in and you can kind of feel that because the weirdest thing about the animation in this movie is how much like it just shifts from like scene to scene. Like there are certain scenes that are animated like really beautifully and have really good character work to them. Then like it'll turn to another shot and it'll be like bad
2: Hanna-Barbera level TV animation. It's crazy. No, I completely agree. Some of the animation is absolutely breathtaking in certain scenes. And then other scenes look like you're watching Tiny Toon Adventures where it's like just Saturday morning cartoon fare. Uh, God, this movie is just so all over the fucking place. And it's like, you know, my boy, my boy Marty S. is in it as that clown. Stubbs, and like, He doesn't give a shit. Like, <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck. Nobody in this movie gives a fuck as far as voice acting. You know, obviously, Walter Cronkite, not a voice actor. Uh, he should have been, could have been. But, you know, he's not. Uh John Goodman has proven to be a very good voice actor. He doesn't give a fuck in this movie either.
0: I would argue with John Goodman, it's just more of like he's earnest, but this is also his first f- voice acting role that he ever did, and it feels uh, like he's really trying to show off, which is yeah. especially like, the weird musical number that happens, by the way, that's like one of the 500 weird things that happens. There's one musical number. It's not a musical. Just he suddenly sings in the middle of the Macy's Day Thanksgiving parade um, to show off to these kids. And I love the fact that like, no one realizes they're dinosaurs until the one little girl is like, oh, they're real. And then everyone goes into a panic despite seeing yeah. this elaborate fucking musical
2: <laughs> Wait a minute now. So the whole thing is they don't want to be the circus, Professor Screw Eye, whatever that convoluted mess of applause. They're just on display at the museum. <laughs> Either way, they're just indentured servants. <laughs> the circus come stand here all day for these children.
1: Oh,
2: okay, that sounds much better. Like, uh. Oh. This, like I said before, this isn't the worst animated movie I've ever seen. It's not even the worst animated movie this era I've ever seen. But it's... It's stupid! It's stupid.
0: <laughs> Yeah. It's very stupid. This feels so much of, like, the early 90s animation where, like, most people think of, like, oh, the uh, the Disney Renaissance, like, Little Mermaid, Beauty and The Beast, and all this other stuff. No one talks about these weird things that were happening off to the side that kind of were slowly killing 2D animation. <laughs> like, shit like this or even, um, like, I would argue a Balto, some of these other things, are just, like, dumped into theaters and end up, like, making people long for something like a Toy Story. Like, this is only a couple of years removed. And, it's like, when you have either the Disney Renaissance movies or shit like this, you immediately pivot to something like a Pixar
1: instead. You can tell that they wanted to kind of do something, but it, they just didn't really su- succeed. Like, at all i don't uh
0: there's bursts of creativity i I give you that it feels like definitely they had like certain ideas but the connective tissue wasn't there whatsoever like i'll say my favorite stuff in the movie is we kind of mentioned him about the villain professor screw eyes uh who's this guy that runs a circus and has demons in it um there when they actually start professor screw Eyes' weird show where demons show up and people are wearing like masks and like floating around like the two kids start saying like oh why would anyone enjoy this that shit looks awesome like, it looks like yeah. a fun-ass fucking show I'd go to. I, my only issue would be just, like, why are you having those elephants carry that out, bro? <laughs> Stop the animal cruelty. Don't do this.
1: I mean, I, I'm sorry. Are we sure that Screw-Eyes is the villain in this movie? Because yeah. it's, it seems to me that the only thing he wants to do, you know, as you say, is just put on a kick-ass haunted circus. And it, it seems like... Everyone is either like just associating him with just being evil because he has certain type that come to, you know, his circus and like like what that he wants to put the dinosaurs in there. I mean, if you were doing a, you know, a a kick ass haunted circus, wouldn't you want dinosaurs there? Wouldn't you want, you know, actual like predatory dinosaurs to be there? Like, no, make a killing.
0: it would make a killing you're right that's why I wouldn't want to do
1: it That's literally this plot plot of Jurassic Park the dinosaur's
2: kill you know the other dude also this movie clearly takes place in like 1993 New York because like Jurassic very specifically yes yes why is a little kid like jeepers I got moxie like why (laughs) (laughs) Oh, <laughs> I'm like, like, he's from the Depression era, of New York. Really he's not- like, oh, I don't know, I'm a
0: tough guy. I act like I'm the original tough guy. That's the art. It's so bad. Right, that's Man. why I find him so much more annoying than the girl, who the only thing is just like, oh, it's Yardley Smith, so it's literally Lisa Simpson.
2: So yeah. bad. It's even more
0: high-pitched than Lisa. Like, it's really bad. There's weird flirtation with them, but more importantly, the pterodactyl is horny for Rex, and I don't know why.
2: Oh, yeah, that Elsa. That pterodactyl is
1: trying to fuck Rex, like she wants Rex. But see, here's the thing that's confusing about that, because when because when you think about it, you know, all of them pretty much become "quote unquote" intelligent when they have the when they eat the the brain grain, right? Right. So, I mean, I get that part. I get that part. But how exactly are they able to like? Learn and accumulate these skills or these wants and these needs just by getting more intelligent. Like Elsa gets horny for some odd reason, you know. Uh, Rex becomes intelligent and immediately starts singing "Row, row, row your boat." Like how how on God's green earth would he ever have heard something like that in order to remember it to sing it when he becomes intelligent enough to sing it? Hey, I got, a better,
2: I got a better question for you, though. Mm. How on earth would these dinosaurs get kidnapped by a space-traveling professional <laughs> alien, get fed smart cereal, and then go to 1993 New York? Or, or, or also, more importantly to me,
0: if you have the ability to like, time travel and do all this, oh, this other shit, and you're like, oh, I'm going to make wishes come true and bring dinosaurs here, um, why do that? There's so much other stuff you could do with a
2: spaceship and time travel. I get it. Like, oh, yeah, make Santa real. Or something. Like, what are you... You're just going to drop dinosaurs in the middle of Central Park? you like,
1: there you go. Wish granted, everybody.
2: Apache helicopters would be deployed. Like, <laughs> if we all get killed. Like, seriously.
0: But before <laughs> he even sang the first line of roll back the rocket, bang,
1: explosion. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> we got a tango.
1: <laughs> Done. That's why I say New Eyes is really the villain of this freaking story. He, he, he snatches these dinosaurs you know out of you know uh what, what was it the the crustaceous era or whatever makes them intelligent and then literally drops them on new york city with parachutes they don't even know they don't even know how to operate
0: find your way to the museum as opposed to dropping them off at the museum
1: <laughs> yeah uh see you later and i also loved how you know he, he he pretty much manipulated them with with that bubble wish you know machine or whatever you know, with all those kids who are like, "Oh, I want to see a dinosaur," and blah blah blah. And well, now, now when this
2: movie takes place in '93, I saw Jurassic Park. I don't know that one of my wishes would be like, "I want to see one of these for real." <laughs> 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 I think at that point, the stigma of dinosaurs murdering you and killing you would have already been sort of set in stone, dude if I went and ask my kid right now, woke my kid up out of bed. Well, first of all, I'm not going to do that. But if I went and woke my kid up out of bed, like, do you want to see a real dinosaur? She'd probably say yes at first, but then she'd be like, are they going to hurt me or something like that? Like, yeah, probably honey. And then it'd be like, no, I don't want to see that shit. What kid wants to see a dinosaur? Like what kid really like, I want to see a real dinosaur right now. Modern times. I really want to see that. Put block one down on I-75 South and let's see what the fuck happens.
0: They would probably want to see at least the weird brain gain dinosaur here here who are able to do stuff like, oh, let's use a truck as a skateboard. And she's like, yeah. that's also oh, this is like God. so supremely like a 90s movie because of shit like that. This feels like it's just like a baseball cap and like a rad dude shirt away from like mm-hmm. making them fully 90s basically. How does he know how to skateboard? <laughs> brain game. That's it's that's their catch all excuse just like brain gain You can oh, gain so much knowledge. Yeah. You game brain,
2: Marcus. What the fuck? I, did you watch the movie, Marcus? Whatever. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> this is the same movie. Also, where like our villain ends up dying from like everyone leaves him alone. He's like, oh no, don't leave me alone. The crows will get me, and they like devour him. No, I don't even
1: get started on that crap. Because that <laughs> that, <laughs> that is That's what gotcha.
0: Movie with that, like,
2: is... oh, that part.
0: Just random shit like that happens. Which, by the way, I remember that very distinctly
1: as a kid because that terrified me. just these crows fucking eat him alive. Like, they leave him alone. That's all they do. They just, they leave. He's like, no, I'm not going to change my ways. Because again, why would he? You know? And then they leave. Stubbs tells him off. Stubbs leaves. And he's like, okay, well, I'm alone. And then he just dies. Like, what the (laughs) hell? What kind of message is that to to children? You know? (laughs) Like, what is happening? I mean, look,
0: it's very clear. If you try and use dinosaurs for your own personal gain for a show like that, then you get fucked over as opposed to if you do them for your own personal gain and put them on a show, but in a museum setting, then it's great. That's perfectly fine. You know
2: what <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the ending? Yeah. <laughs> well, at least in the circus. What? I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not agreeing that Screw Eye was a fucking, like, a hero or anything. But at least in the circus, they'd be doing the ball a bunch of shenanigans. In the fucking museum, they got to stand behind a velvet rope and let a bunch of kids come up. My name is Julian. Whoa, bricks! My name is Roberta. Oh, (laughs) bricks! All fucking day. Like, that's awful. What a terrible life. Oh, my God. Fuck this movie, dude. It's the stupidest shit ever. Like, it's literally like if you got a bunch of stone teenagers in a room who just watched Land Before Time and Jurassic Park, like, back to back, like, Let's fucking combine them, bro. And then, and then let's, oh, wait a minute. You know what's really cool? Aliens. And then, like, the dad comes in, I'm trying to watch Walter Cronkite. <laughs>
0: and then the mom comes in, like, I'm trying to watch this Julia Child video and learn how to. Cook.
2: <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> this, this
1: film doesn't do a lot of favors when it comes to a lot of different types of things. Like, it doesn't do the heroes quote-unquote any favors, the villain quote-unquote any favors. It doesn't do New Yorkers any favors. It doesn't do women any favors. It doesn't do anything, any I, favors for anyone involved. I think
2: this might be one of your favorite movies, Marcus. I, I think you're... <laughs> this is right
0: above predestination in terms of great time travel
1: cinema. Look, I... I... <laughs> Look, I am betraying my younger self right now. I'm still going to like s- stay with the theory that this is just not the movie that I saw when I was younger. No, that's not it's- true. No, no,
2: no, 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 don't do that. Don't, do that. don't, do that. don't lie to yourself. Uh, the fact <laughs> that is, you were a stupid kid. I was a stupid kid. There's movies I saw when I was a kid. I was like, jeepers, this is the best <laughs> movie ever. that I watched it with all I'm like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Like, it happens all the time you know how many movies i loved as a child and like oh i'm gonna re-watch this with my kid and watch it with them like oh no i don't even want her to watch this i'm afraid she'll get dumber like that <laughs> this is one of those movies this is so bad this is, this is it's so stupid and amateurishly written and half the time amateurishly animated it, it's just it's all over the place it has zero concise plot and zero sort of Direction as to where it wants to go, and you know what? Those are my final thoughts. God damn it! I, know, I was
0: going to say those sound like pretty good final thoughts here, Marcus. Do you have anything to add for your final thoughts on this movie?
1: I've been raking this over the coals, just like you guys have, but I, you know, and I'm still of two minds. I'm still battling it out. You know, no victor yet, but you know, maybe kind of now that I've been talking about this. I will say that the highlight is definitely, you know, the animation. You know, I, despite the fact, despite the fact that it's, you know, kind of. You know, all over the place. You know, I love that shot. You know, when they first land in the in the river uh, of the city. You know, when they first meet uh, Louis. You know, love that shot. A lot of good shots like that. Uh, I definitely, I, I will also say, I like the score. You know, uh, I believe uh, James Horner did the score. You know, who, uh, he also did like Khan and Avatar. The late great. We've he, praised him many times on the show. Yes. You no. Know, so you know, I like that. The voice acting is all over the place. You know. And you know, I do want to say this transport me back to when I was younger, and you know, I was you know a little bit more, yay, yeah, it's great, blah, blah, blah. But unfortunately, this just does not age very well. It's very much a product of its times. It's pedestrian. It's it's uneventful. It's like how do you go from American Tale to this? I wouldn't even say it's it's even a feature. It's more like a like a freaking pamphlet, just listless and dumb and boring and ridiculous it doesn't even belong in any kind of category whatsoever of legitimate animation
2: except your top five time travel
1: movies that's true right (laughs) right there back to
0: the future we're back at dinosaur story predestination three best Um,
2: <laughs> I kind of get where you're coming
0: from in terms of like that whole thing because I remember like I said I watched this a lot as a kid but yeah I'm totally with Adam though like it's it's just a movie I watched a lot as a kid and I'm coming back to it now so many years later it's just like oh wow this is really fucking stupid but I get why I liked it as a kid just because the biggest thing I disagree with your final thoughts on Marcus is uneventful if anything the movie's problem is too many events are happening <laughs> everything's <laughs> happening at once which I think makes it at least like I was never bored during this entire time because uh, it's just, like, weird decision after weird decision that makes this clear. Like, this is probably, I think, the textbook example of, like, studio meddling filmmaking from an animation perspective. We've seen, we've covered plenty of those for live-action movies where it's just, like, oh, clearly too many cooks in the kitchen all this other stuff. This one has that, but I'll give that at least has, like, a weird energy that makes it at the very least not... Adam mentioned, the one of the worst ones we've covered for the show, or even the animated ones we've covered for the show. But it's uh, not good, and it's, I think, just an interesting, fascinating curiosity of a specific time. Like, if anyone wants to say, like, oh, man, animation was always better when I was a kid, like, in the 90s. It was always way better. You show him a we're back. Like, now everything was fucking Beauty and the Beast, guys. <laughs> Chill the fuck out.
2: Show them Anastasia and be like, yeah, you still feel that way? It's Central Park. Yeah, you feel and that troll, way, yeah, Troll in Central Park
1: is very much that. <laughs> Oh, okay. hey, hey, hey guys 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 let no bad happen
0: oh that's true the the, the great lesson of our times let no bad happen
1: oh my god
0: <laughs> but we got some feedback to read through and we got some uh picking to do at the end of this episode so stay tuned for that uh so uh we we're gonna go ahead and uh, move on to our closing bits of the show here uh first off our feedback section which Every Monday, at Pod, Facebook, Twitter, we ask you all about, like, hey, what are your favorite, you know, and least favorite things related to whatever uh, topic we're doing. And so we got a few people chiming in about their favorite and least favorite time travel movies, including James Rodriguez, who says, Time Crimes is marvelous, the Happy Death Day films are wonderful fun, Looper is uh, more brilliance from Ryan Johnson, as for worst, uh, my choices are franchise sequels, Terminator Genisys, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, and Austin Powers and Goldmember. Uh, Andy Shawl says, Time Bandits may be my favorite. Nate Thomas says, uh, Best, uh, Back to the Futures, Terminators 1 and 2, Time Crimes, Donnie Darko, Groundhog Day, Star Trek 4, 12 Monkeys, Edge of Tomorrow, and Bill and Ted 1. Worst, uh, Time Cop 2, Butterfly Effect 2, Planet of the Apes 2001, and Time Bandits. Josh uh, Riox says, um, I like the Planet of the Apes Because it doesn't get carried away with details. It just drops the horror of accidental time travel like a bomb at the end. And the horror being that the future won't be a better one. Um, Heston plays the first American hit in the nuts with that realization. Primer is a fun time too. Uh, What happens when jerks at the Apple store have all the power? Um, Minty Pineapple, at Minty Pineapple on Twitter, says, uh, Primer has the best and most consistent time travel logic I've seen in a film. The butterfly effect is so sloppy and consistent. And then, uh, Tom Corbishley, at Tom Corbs, says, Time Crimes by Nacho Vigalondo is one of the most clever time travel films that utilizes time travel and paradoxes so well. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually, I watched a couple of these that I hadn't seen before, but heard so much about. Like, I hadn't seen Primer or Time Crimes until this week. Time Crimes is really fucking great. Like, both of those I think, are interesting examples of like something like A Predestination, where the time travel logic is really consistent, but I would say A Time Crimes has a lot more interesting character and suspense and thriller elements that make it, I think, a really underrated time travel movie for sure. And Primer, it has a really great logic to it. I, it's very consistent. I can never turn that away from it. Um, but I hate everything else about that movie. It looks like shit. All of the characters are dull. The acting is so wooden. I just I, I think this is the thing with Shane Carruth, like I don't like that dude as a filmmaker. I think he knows how to make like very like heady sci fi stories, but I don't think he has the like directorial
2: floors to make it interesting to me. What else has he done? Upstream color. Oh yeah. Oh. Mm. I've yeah. seen that. Yeah. You know. No, there's a lot of good ones out there. Like Tide Bandits I remember when I was a kid. Uh, you know, I really like Tide Bandits when I was a kid. Now it's no. It doesn't hold up for me. It's just... It's shocky, It's silly. It's cheesy. Uh, it doesn't make it bad, though. But yeah, time crimes is fucking dope. Of course, Terminator 1 and 2, naturally. For some reason, when I think of time travel movies, I don't even think of Terminator, and I don't know why.
0: Well, I think it's because time travel is so, like, incidental. Like, it just happens, something that happens at the beginning, and we never really think about it that much after that point.
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly the case. But obviously, they fit right in the time travel idea. I mean, obviously... Time travel perfection, to me, if we're talking about films, is the Back to the Future
1: trilogy. I think they're perfect. Yeah, yeah. I say you know, I definitely agree with a lot of those. As far as you know, Back to the Future, you know, Happy Death Day, and you know, all those uh, movies. And I, you know, I can't talk enough about. Definitely want to add uh, Edge of Tomorrow to that too. I love that movie. That um, is the
0: question I wanted to ask. Do we consider time loop movies time travel
2: movies? I say. I don't think I do. To be honest, because like, then I would throw Groundhog Day in the mix, and I don't consider that a time travel movie at all. And it's the same idea as Happy Death Day and uh, Edge of Tomorrow. I wouldn't consider Groundhog Day a time travel movie, period, at all.
1: I-, I would say Happy Death Day 2 is more of a time travel movie than Happy Death Day 1. Well,
0: because that, that's way more about like traveling to various different time periods and stuff. Yeah. Which is why, honestly, I would say I kind of prefer the second one because it just goes full-on fucking silly <laughs> in a way that I really loved. Like, it abandons more of the horror stuff in service of, like, let's do
1: crazy shit in a way that I found kind of fun. And it's fantastic. I mean, Jessica Ralph is just... She's yeah. so great about both those movies. Yeah, <laughs> Love she needs to get film. way more work, yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I do want to say that uh, that Terminator movie, the uh, fourth one, or fifth Oh, yeah, one?
0: the uh, Genesis, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I would like to change that because I always say Jenna's shit." You know, get it right because that's 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 a better way of calling.
0: No, it. no, it 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 <laughs> needs to keep its stupid ass spelling of Genesis. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> that's that's no, the 100%. mark that it wears. That's the cross it bears every day. <laughs> um is that but i think james hit it on the head in terms of like the worst time travel movies tend to be sequels that do a poor job of integrating it into the universe the few examples were like late in the game i do time travel and it works for me it's something like an Endgame, avengers Endgame, like that's like one of the rare times that works
2: yeah i didn't even think of that either god damn it yeah that's a good one
0: absolutely i agree but in general, yeah, when they when it's just late in the game, like, oh, let's time travel to a movie you like. Like, that's what Genesis like is so guilty of. It's just, you oh. liked the first Terminator <laughs> when we did this, and we're going to also have a uh, version of a liquid Terminator show up just because fuck it. Um, that's when you know you're really desperate.
1: That movie is literally going out of its way to destroy its own franchise. I mean, what the hell?
0: I mean, yeah, though I will say at the same time, I actually just watched uh, a a double feature at my local drive-in of the Terminator. (laughs) That's not fancy. It's a (laughs) drive-in. Calm down. (laughs) uh, of the Terminator and Robocop and I think Terminator still holds up as a tremendous little time travel movie that that still like really works tremendously it's such a repulsive thriller despite once again that's another really low budget one like you can tell so many pe- people like the Spirit Brothers and stuff look up to like a the Terminator as like the perfect way of like a creator with a huge ass vision covering so much with a little budget
2: yeah, I agree. I think The Terminator is almost, uh, basically a perfect film.
0: And then uh, one last bit of feedback from CJ Pionk, uh, just in general, apparently, about me. Uh, she says, uh, Thomas's voice sounds exactly like Bash from Glow.
2: Hmm. Maybe. I haven't watched the newest season of Glow yet. I, I, I've been meaning to. I've seen the first two seasons. I, I really did enjoy both. But yeah, I could see it. You got the voice of Bash and the looks of Josh Gad. Look at you. You're oh, Josh Bash. The
0: biggest curse. <laughs> um, I did watch some interviews with that actor who plays Bash, and I do realize, like, in terms of the actual cadence, it's not too far off. In terms of just, like, the weird pauses and ways I'm kind of, like, thinking in the middle of a sentence, like, that is a similarity. I will definitely agree on that. I, I would rather have the looks. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Well, you don't.
0: No, I'm all don't. right, no, no. I'm a gargoyle. But thank you all for that lovely feedback, and we also want to thank some other people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at uh, chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show, and of course, we want to thank Mister Marcus Will Turner over here, the guest for our show, Marcus. Where can people find you on the internet? Do you have anything to promote?
1: Mm, not right now. I mean, they can find me on Facebook if they want. But, you know, I am making my rounds. So, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. You might hear from me again. Maybe. Yeah. No. No, presumptuous here. <laughs> we had a fun time, but calm down. Yeah, right. Yeah, but, we
0: do also want to thank our supporters on Patreon. Patreon.com slash DEDBpod. Um, Actually, around this week when this episode's releasing, you'll be able to enjoy a couple new things we'll have out there, like uh, if all things come together. Our bonus episode for August will come out already on our little trivia game that we're playing with another guest, uh, who you might recognize from the show. And then also, uh, not too long after this episode drops off, there will be a poll... For uh, you to pick between two of my good choices for an upcoming episode we're doing um, around the time of the October Halloween haunts. We're planning on doing a vampire-themed episode. And my two good picks are up there for you to choose. uh, So you get to choose between Tony Scott's The Hunger and Jim Jarmusch's Only Lovers Left Alive.
2: Oh, God, I love both of those
0: so much. (laughs) Great
2: fucking movies, yeah. That's a really good, really good double feature sort of uh, choices there. That's a good one. What do you got your money on?
0: Um, my money would probably be more on an Only Lovers Lift Alive*, uh, but I would love The Hunger to win, though. Like I, We talk so oh, much yeah. about The Hunger. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm good on both, but my money's on Only Lovers.
0: Perhaps. And uh, you can vote to make that uh, either one a reality if you just subscribe to us on Patreon for only $1 a month. That's all we ask, and you can listen to the bonus podcasts and also uh, vote on those polls. Um, and you can find more of us, like I mentioned earlier, at DEDB Pod, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, that's where we post up feelers and all sorts of other stuff. Um, and you can also uh, email us, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out for any feedback you feel. doesn't quite fit in a Facebook comment or a tweet. And uh, you can find me at NotTheWho'sTommy on Twitter and Instagram. That's where I post all sorts of stuff. Uh, you can also find me doing some writing at marianitomas.wordpress.com. Uh, That's where I uh, put up writings like film lists and film reviews. In fact, there will be a review up right now for uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, uh, which I just saw recently. It'll be my first review in a while. But I hope you go out there and read that. And uh, you can find Adam just trying to travel back and forth and become his own grandpa, to quote the song. (laughs) And uh, for more great, weird time paradoxes like that, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. And if you're listening to us on ESO, when I dig into the archives of our Podbean network for uh, several episodes we did before we joined that great network. And uh, if nothing else, if you could just rate, review, or just share the show around, that gives us more visibility, and we would appreciate it.
2: Yeah, just do it. Marcus has been a A-plus sort of student and sharing it, and we really do appreciate it, but all it takes is just one click of a button. Absolutely.
0: Yes. And uh, now we're going to be doing our picking for next week, which will be a fascinating episode. Uh, we're going back to covering an actor, and uh, specifically because it's this actor's birthday, the day we're going to end up releasing this episode, we are covering uh, the very odd career of a Mr.
1: Adam Sandler,
0: who we've kind of had in the cards for a while because uh, there's a, l- a few good things and many bad things about so with Mr. Sandler, for sure. And uh, I have the two good picks, Adam has the two bad picks for this, so normally we would each uh, have a number between 1 and 10 and pick a number, and whatever gets closest to the good and then the bad pick, uh, gets us our double feature, but when we have a guest like Marcus, they get to pick. So first for my two good picks, Marcus, number between 1 and 10. Mm, seven all right well at number nine i have um, a movie i've been wanting to talk about on the show for a while and it's just one of my favorite movies and definitely the first example of sandler kind of showing off a bit more of his dramatic side mr paul thomas anderson's
2: punch drunk love i kind of guessed that one i gotta be honest and i bet i can guess what your other one is
0: uh my other one um over on the other side at number one i had happy gilmore
2: not what I thought, so all right. I'm well, what did you think, right. out of curiosity? I thought it was going to be Uncut Gems.
0: That was when I contemplated, but I kind of wanted to have a bit of both, where it's like the best of him in his sillier side and the best of him in his more dramatic side. Uh, but now I'm very curious, because of how much you had to pick from, about which one will end up for you. So Marcus, for him, a number between one and ten?
1: Uh, four. Okay. Oh,
2: fuck, man. All right. Alright, uh, uh number two, uh, there's a movie I swore I would never watch, but I'm gonna play fair. And uh, number two is Jack and Jill.
0: I feared this day would come. This was the this was the worst-case scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah
2: sorry. At <laughs> uh, number ten, I had bedtime stories.
0: Oh, okay, that one's at least more obscure. <laughs> that one isn't really talked about nearly as much. But no, okay, yeah. Punchdrunk Drunk Love and Jack and Jill, definitely uh, two opposing ends on
2: (laughs) the least. Good God.
0: As uh, we'll get into. Uh, Thank you, Marcus, for uh, doing that picking. And now, on that note, uh, Marcus and I need to travel back to the beginning of the episode to close this entire
2: loop. So, good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Uh, good, uh, Good night?